0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for Sports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside Indy Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. With the temperatures dropping, we have entered prime sock season, and our friends over at Dead Soxy just announced their BOGO winter sale. Right now, when you buy two sock bundles, you get the second bundle 50% off, or get a free pair of socks with any single pair you purchase. To get the deal, just put any two bundles or any two pairs of socks in your cart and apply the code LUCKY. That's L-U-C-K-Y. If you have bundles in there, it will take 50% off the least expensive bundle. And if you have two pairs of socks in your cart, it will make the least expensive pair free. So head over to deadsoxy.com and stock up on this incredible winter sale. And as always, stay Soxy. The first month of the college football offseason is already in the books. Before we know it, spring football will be here, but we're certainly not in a hurry to get there quite yet. The big news of today was the report that Notre Dame offensive coordinator Tommy Reese is interviewing with Alabama for its open offensive coordinator position. We will discuss that a little bit later, but we want to get to our scheduled guest first, who was kind enough to make some time for us less than a week after his NFL season ended. Mike McGlinchey just wrapped up his 5th NFL season with the San Francisco 49ers with quite the ride to the NFC Championship game. Mike is entering the offseason as an unrestricted free agent, so he's going to have an interesting few months ahead of him. Mike, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
0: Mike, to start, do you have any vacations planned?
1: Um no. Uh I do not. I um I I well, I guess I guess a vacation I, I, I kind of consider it vacation these days as just going home to see my family. Um, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll trip to Philly. Uh, a, a, another trip to Philly since we just came from there. Um, but I uh, trip to Philly on the books. I don't know how long I'll stay there. Let's catch up with everybody and see some family and friends. Um, and then I'm at the age right now where um I got I think it seems like I have a wedding or bachelor party or something every weekend. Uh, this off. <laughs> So uh, it's going to be a hectic, hectic uh, next couple months in terms of my own logistical schedule. Um, but it'll, it's it, especially when you don't know which city you're going to be uh, playing in in the spring. So uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. But I'm sure I'll have I got weddings in um, Jacob Matuska's getting married in Ohio in the summer, so I, I'm in that wedding and I'll be there. My own wedding um, is in San Diego. So I'll see all those guys then. And then a bunch scattered throughout the Bay area of Brooke and I's uh, best friends. So it's going to be a, 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 we're trying to find room to breathe let alone a vacation.
2: (laughs) Well, before I ask you a football question, I have a wedding follow-up. I saw that you will have 17 groomsmen. (laughs) That that was pretty impressive.
0: Mm -hmm. And
2: and i was wondering if uh dela sandros will be catering the
1: wedding no so i uh dela sandros will not be catering the wedding um it's in san diego where where i'm a i've kind of gotten to be a west coast guy now and yeah. uh, i think we might have in and out instead um so <laughs> we'll see um yeah 17 groomsmen i have five uh five brothers or are, are, are mine and then i have another uh six cousins that we all grew up in the same house in the same Jersey shore and all the same neighborhoods. And, um, they were my high school teammates and grade school teammates and still my best friends. So those guys, Brooks brother, um, and then my, uh, my five best friends from college.
0: All right. That sounds, sounds like a lot of suits. (laughs) Big suits too. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Mike, given today's Tommy Reese news, this is where I wanted to start. Kyle Shanahan is is renowned for being one of the best play callers in, in football, and um, I don't think that Tommy Reese gets that same kind of love from Notre Dame fans, but there's obviously been some very bright football coaches interested in bringing him on their staff. So I, wanted, I, I was curious, from your perspective as an offensive lineman at the college and NFL level, what can you tell us about? what makes a good play caller beyond just the successes or failures that we see on the field?
1: I think first and foremost, it's the understanding of the defense, right? I think it's, it's understanding of what you see in front of you and what their, what their goals are trying to do and um, seeing how they um, play thing, you know, how they defend things similar to what you try and do. Um, I think first and foremost, it's about understanding the matchups that you have on your team versus the defense that you see on tape. And um, I think Kyle is is as good as anybody at that. And he understands football in, in a lot of different nuances and how things will react based off of the way he calls the game. Um, I think the marriage of, of, of plays together um, is number two, probably you don't want to just call plays to call plays. Everything has a reason based off of your understanding of the defense and the study that you have. So, For instance, for us, we we go down to your, you know, Kyle goes down his list of openers on Saturday night, and it's like, all right, here's the first one. All right, we we've called this play earlier, so this is how they're and if we hit them on it, this is how they're going to react. That's going to so it sets up this play pass, or it sets up another run that looks very similar, and it's more about it's it's about the design of your plays being very, you know similar across the board in terms of what you do, um, but it looks, but there's a lot of dressing up to make things really confusing to the defense. Um, and I think it starts with that. It starts with your understanding of your defense It start it start. And then um, to tie it all together is your philosophy of how you do things and what you coach your players to do, because it's not, it's not just about play design. You know, Kyle does, does do a lot of that cool stuff and it's, but, his ability to coach and see and put players into his philosophy is why he's very successful. Cause he knows what good football is. Um, He knows there's certain traits that you need to have as a, as an offensive football player to accomplish the tasks that he's asking you to do and, um, and sticking with it and and believing what you do is right. And the confidence to just let it rip once and uh, once the game starts on Sundays.
2: Mike if I'm my math is right you and Tommy overlapped one year 2013 I think you're a true freshman year
1: yep and then yeah. uh I and then okay. my he was our quarterback coach
2: oh that's right yeah so you bookend uh <laughs> yeah.
1: what were your impressions
2: of him in in both those experiences in terms of what his future might look like if
1: you gave it any thought at all well Tommy made a living on being the smartest guy in the room um, that was as a player. Um, certainly that was who he was, right? I, I, he was able to be so successful because of how much he understands and gets football and understands where ball, the ball needs to go when it's in place in his hands. Um, and he loves football. And that that like th- those two things were very evident when I first knew him as a player and as a teammate um, and they became even stronger um, when he came back as a coach, and he was already he had already learned from some good systems. I think he was in the NFL for his first two or three years coaching as a QC, and got the opportunity to be on some great stabs there. And um, and people who understand and understood how to talk taught him how to do the game planning aspect of, of of coaching. And he grew up he grew up around it. Obviously, he grew up around all that stuff. So um, his understanding of the game of football is why he's always had success. Um, and I think it was no more uh, evident than the last couple of years. He's been as a, as the caller for Notre Dame.
0: Mike, it's funny. I actually see some similarities between how the QB positions played out between the 49ers and Notre Dame this past season with uh, sort of Trey Lance and Tyler Buckner being sort of the same type of guys and going down with injuries. And then uh, Drew Pine and Brock Purdy, maybe having some parallels. Um, I would say it went better for you guys than it did for Notre Dame, but What's the key? What's the key to an offense being able to make a transition at quarterback in the middle of the season?
1: I think it has everything to do with every other position uh, picking up the slack. Um, I think, you know, Brock is is he he's a, an extremely talented player in his own right, and obviously the way you look, the way how big you are, how fast you run, how you know the school you went to, those kinds of things, for whatever reason matter a lot to a lot of people that make decisions in, in football Um, whereas you watch the kid play and all of his tape he's throwing for like thousands and thousands of yards and set every record in Iowa State history and you know so the, those things are there but he also got thrown into a team that was really on it everywhere else um, at offensive line wise we I thought we had a great year Um, we were able to do those things and I think that's why it's the same thing everywhere. Like you, when you're a first-time player or first-time QB coming in, and you think all of a sudden that you have to be somebody different or somebody that's got, that, that was that was a different person than what you got you here. That's where you're going to get screwed up, and you realize that you're really just even though you're a quarterback and every all the limelight's on you and all that stuff, you are just one eleventh of the operation. And everybody's got a job to do, and as long as you trust everybody around you to do their job and everybody does do their job, um, you know, you're going to have success no matter who you are. And I think, um, that was a huge portion for our football team, just as it was Notre Dame. I know watching the offensive line, they got better and better and better as the year went on. And you guys, you know, you started going back to starting to pound people in the run game again. And that certainly allowed Notre Dame to stabilize no matter what was happening, you know, with their quarterback situation. And I think that's, um, it's a huge parallel between both of our football teams, I think this year. Um, but yeah, it's it's all about the coach understanding what he's what situation he's in, and then the guy having the QB that comes in having the mindset to, you know, just do my job and let everybody else trust everybody else, and we'll all you know do this together.
2: Mike, in last weekend's game, how close were you to saying, "I got this at quarterback"? I used to compete uh, <laughs> in the Thanksgiving Day games. With Matt Ryan um, and Ryan and my cousins.
1: Yeah, I, I was not very close at all. Um, okay. The The Thanksgiving Day games at Meyerway Meyer Park are a little bit different than uh, playing in the <laughs> NFL game. Um, yeah. The, the, it was I, a
2: crazy situation,
1: though. Yeah, I, I've never seen anything like that before. I mean, obviously, you've seen... You know, there's been a couple instances where a tight end would come in and play offensive line or something in a in a in a regular season game where you're just like, all right, we just got to get through this and get to uh, the next week. Well, when you when you lose both of your quarterbacks that you have up on roster before the third quarter even starts in the last game of the year, because it's the title, it's the NFC title game. Like, there is no tomorrow. It's just a, it was, it was an incredibly unfortunate situation. Um, very, very unlucky. And um, it made it really, really difficult to operate uh, moving forward. So there are a couple positions on a football field in which, you know, break the glass emergency, maybe you could get by. Um, quarterback is not one of them.
0: Uh, Mike, going into this offseason at Notre Dame, there will be a, a open competitions at the guard positions because both guards are moving on with Josh Lug and uh, Jared Patterson moving on. The competition will be between guys at various points of their career. Andrew Christophic is entering his fifth season and has a little bit of starting experience. Rocco Spindler will be entering his junior season with very little experience. Billy Shrouth will be a sophomore with very little experience. I wanted to, to sort of get you to reflect back on your college career. What, what was the offseason that you made the biggest improvement and, and why was why, why did why things seem to click for you that offseason? What was, what was the key to making you being able to take that sort of leap that happened in whatever offseason that was?
1: Um, I think it was probably after uh, my redshirt freshman season, um, going into being a true junior redshirt sophomore. Um, I, I had taken over the starting job late in that year. And I think the reason I was able to make that jump was because of the work that I put in in that season to kind of accelerate my game while football was still happening. Um, And then when I was able to start, you know, and get significant playing time the last two or three weeks of the season. um, It gave me that kind of confidence moving forward that, all right, this is now, you know, I I had made a decision long before that, that I was going to go take this thing and um, and. All that work I did prior to those two or three weeks uh, at the end of that year um, were only cemented when I had success going in. And I was like, "Okay, this works. And what I'm doing is the right stuff. And I'm finally I finally have a plan and the blueprint to get this together. And then all I needed to do was just keep working. And um, I felt good about that offseason. And I think you know, those those whoever, those guys that you just named will have to do the same thing. And I, I, no matter what your situation was playing-wise, if you make the decision um, to go commit to to working as hard as you can to under, not only work hard, but work smart. And that's the thing that, you know, you confuse early on in your career is that no matter how hard you work, you don't necessarily see results because you're not necessarily doing the right things. And so as long as those guys can um, be guided the right way, which we all know they will, right? based on who their coach is and it clicks that, all right, here's what I need, here's what I need to do. Now I need to put everything I have into doing it. And, um, and, 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 and they'll, they'll improve. And, and as long as you're continuing to improve and try to improve every day, um, the success will come.
2: Again, with your schedule, I'm not sure how much you got to see of Notre Dame during the year, but when you did see them, what were your impressions of the two tackles, Joe Alt and Blake Fisher?
1: I thought they did a great job. Um, I think they, they, uh, they, they did a great job and they have extremely bright, bright futures. Um, I think they're just scratching the surface of what they can be. Um, both are very, very talented guys. And, um, like, like, just like we talked about with whoever starts at guard, they're going to have to, those two guys have to do the same thing because, you know, it's their job to get better. And, um, you know, I don't know them well. I don't. I've only um, met. I don't even know if I've met either one of them. Um, but I know they're in great hands with Coach Eastan, Um and they they just got their first year under him. And um, and the more that they get to work with him, and they're still very young players, and they, they have very they have a lot of football left to play at Notre Dame. And as long as they put in the work and 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 understand where they need to go, you know they'll be they'll they'll, they'll the, the sky's the limit, I think, for those two.
0: Mike, speaking of being in good hands, Billy Stroud, who is one of the guys I mentioned we well, be competing for guard. Uh, he was a freshman this past season, and Howard Cross, when we talked to him towards the end of the season, praised him for like how good Billy is with his hands, which is pretty impressive going against a, a nose tackle and Howard Cross is who is known for having good hands himself, um, and, and Billy being a freshman. And so he I mean, he was he couldn't say more speak more highly of him. I'm curious as an offensive lineman, can you explain to the public how important that handwork and, and and having that skill with your hands is to sort of being able to do, do the assignments required as an offensive lineman?
1: Uh, yeah, I think um, the hands allow you to dominate uh, both run and pass. I think you win as an offensive lineman with your feet and then you dominate with your hands. And then, so I think, um, I think if, as long as you, if it's a very hard thing because if you can, if you can trust your hands and let your hands go as an offensive lineman, um, it's exceptionally important and valuable because it keeps the defense off of their game. Um, it's a disrupt. It's it's very disruptive, and obviously the the um, it's not even mostly it's not so much I found it's not even so much about the low man, but it's the one with the inside hand position is the one that normally wins, and you know so it's it's a, it's a different type of leverage that it gives you um it's it's something you work at constantly as an offensive lineman um and it's one of the most valuable skills that you can possibly have.
2: Jarrett Patterson, Josh Lugg and and some other guys Isaiah Foskey obviously Michael Mayer they're all in various stages of getting ready for the draft a couple of them are in the senior bowl uh four of them will be in the combine uh I, I if my memory serves me right, you maybe had a tweaked hamstring at the combine, but still, still had a really nice vertical leap. What was that process for you? Like, I mean, did you feel like you had put enough on tape that you didn't have to worry so much about what you did at the combine and such?
1: Um, No, actually well, at the time I was very stressed out about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, Looking back, I don't know if I if if I needed to be the combine is a great thing um, and it I, I have a very different experience at the combine than than most. Um, I think one I play offensive line and as long as you really don't do something really bad, <laughs> your play is what matters anyway. Um, it, I play a position that's so based off of watching film and, and not so much the measurables. Um, and I, I, you know, the combine has become a great big show, but just do what you do, you know, use it as a train exceptionally hard to do better in those drills. Cause it can only, it really can help you as a, you know, as, especially as a skill position player. Um, but um, it's not the end all be all that people make it out to be. It's, it's a, it's just another process in the evaluation. And um you know the most important thing is who you are as a football player, and I think once you get to the NFL, the coaches really all realize that. Obviously, there's a lot of, you know, there's a whole department of a of a football team in the in the NFL that dedicates their lives to this stuff, and it's incredibly important. Um, but just go be be as confident as you can be, and and, and let it rip while you're there, and um, the rest will take care of itself. I I do. I, I the process is a crazy one because it's so it's so far out of your control of you know, what you wind up doing anyway. Um, and and so the combine is very important, but uh, I would, it's just, a, it's just another, you know, step in the process and, and um, you have to just keep grinding at it and keep going through it and understand, you know, there's a lot more evaluations to do and it, it, what really matters is who you are as a football player. Uh,
2: my follow-up to that is, uh, you know, I can think of so many great, offensive linemen in a lot of eras coming out of Notre Dame. I, When I think of great people lined up next to each other, you and Q always flash in my mind first. And I'm wondering, was that relationship as cool on the inside as it is looking at it from the outside? Because there's just something about, you know, the bump before the snap and stuff. And uh, it, was, it was kind of magic. Yeah, you know, especially in the twenty seventeen season,
1: um, it was I, I you know, Q. Q was a close, close friend of mine. Um, he and I. He's an he's an incredible partner to work with. Um, because he's so competitive, he's so driven. He loves playing football, and he loves being great at it. And he has a very high standard. Um, for for what he is and who he is. And I think um not only were we really tight, you know, it helped that we were tight off the field, obviously, but it certainly we had a very I imagine we had a magical yeah while we were in college, we had a magic work relationship. And it was we played next to each other for a long time. So we got to do it together and grow together and take our, you know, we both took lumps at the same time. We, you know, we both had success at the same time. And um we realized that we could be you know, we can make ourselves better by being the best teammate we can be to the other. And, um, it was incredibly valuable. It was some of the most valuable experiences I ever had in football of understanding how to communicate and what the standard of communication should be next to your, your playing partner. Um, and, and the expectation of not trying to let each other down. And, um, it was a, it was a really, really cool relationship. One that was as valuable as I've ever had in football. Um, and, um, you know, we had a lot of success and it was a lot of fun.
0: Mike, similarly, but not the same, certainly you're not lining up next to Aaron Banks. What's it been like to have a, a Notre Dame guy there with you on the on the San Francisco offensive line?
1: Oh, it's been awesome. I'm so proud of Aaron. Um, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he puts in a lot of work to be great and he's such a talented guy. And there was a lot of people doubting our group this year when we came in because he hadn't started before, um, our center hadn't started before, and our other right guard was a rookie. And um, you know everybody gave him a ton of crap all throughout the off and oh, we need to go get players to replace them. And all they did was answer the bell all season. Um, and Aaron um, has has done a great job. Um, he's such a great human being, um, and, and he's a, and he's turning himself into a great football player at, at the highest level you can play at. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that he's here in San Francisco. I think he's got a great, another, you know, one of, one of the best O-line coaches. I've been, I've been very, very fortunate in my career that I've had two O-line coaches that are um, as revered and and trustworthy as the two that I've had and Chris Furster uh, and Harry Easton guys that were both, you know, kind of learned under the same tree and so it it made a lot of sense that um to that that Chris can get a lot out of Aaron and he, he does a great job working with him and you know Aaron's turning himself into a great professional and, and um I'm very very happy for him.
2: Mike, the last one for me is um, you know, you were a Brian Kelly guy, so um you know, he recruited you, coached you all the all the years, and now Marcus Freeman comes in. So you didn't have him on the staff when when you were at Notre Dame but i'm just wondering from afar what you thought about his first season as head coach and what you think about Notre Dame's future with him at the helm
1: i think it's in great hands you know everybody that i've spoken with um loves the man and they think he's the right guy for the job and he does a great job of leading um i thought his first year went well i thought you know he kind of got shocked out of the gate um and was able to weather the storm and compete in great football games. And, and um, I think that takes a lot. It's a lot to overcome there. And I think he did that well. And I think first and foremost, he does it with class and grace and, and, and is a great representative of our team and our school. Um, and I think he's going to have tremendous success there. I, I, I believe it. He he understands how to surround himself with the right people um, on his staff and all those things. And, and he understands the the um the necessity and the urge to recruit and um and how hard it can be at Notre Dame and he does it with a great enthusiasm um and and from afar it looks great I, I I've only met him two or three times in, in very small doses but he's I, I'm very excited for Notre Dame's future.
0: Mike this is a, a new experience for you being a free agent and I know you've expressed you'd like to come back to San Francisco. What? How would you describe your emotions going into this offseason? Nervous, excited? What 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 is this experience like for you?
1: Well, it's a, you know, for, for one thing, it's a good problem to have. right? It's not, <laughs> definitely not um, anything to be nervous about. It, it is, it's it's a bittersweet thing because I've put a lot of time in with the team that I'm on and 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 um, have unbelievable relationships. Um, you know, I live I live here full time. My my future wife is from here. Um, so it 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 makes a lot of sense and logistically, you know, uh to to want to be a 49er. Um but that that but the and the the potential end of that kind of is what makes it bitter. Um but it is an exciting time too. I've 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 worked a long time to be able to earn this kind of an opportunity. Um and you know, to have a a, 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 a the ability to secure my you know my family and I's future. Um it's, it's a it's an unbelievable thing and there's certainly other great football opportunities out there that aren't on the 49ers and so it's an exciting there's always the new toy that's the potential of getting a new toy is pretty exciting and and um and, and being a part of a new organization and learning new things and learning new people um and um you know and get to see a different part of the country you know and and so we'll see um I, my hope is that it works out here um but i'm I'm also not going to, you know, I got to do what's right for me and my family and, and and I can't um, overlook any opportunity. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's been a great time here. It's been a lot of fun and I, I hope it does continue, but if, if it didn't, I, you know, I put everything I had into this team and and, um, I I look forward to the opportunity to continue to get better with, with whoever.
0: You mentioned earlier how, how many all your brothers being in your wedding? How is your family doing? How's everyone uh, having success in their own lives right now?
1: Um, they're doing well um, you know, brother and sister are, are graduated from college. two of them are graduated from college. one's still in college playing uh, football at or sinus college in in Pennsylvania. Uh, my younger brother Tom um, has has shot up to he's a freshman at Penn Charter, my old high school and has now shot up to about six foot five, six foot six. Um, he's not a, uh, I don't think he's got an lineman's frame, but he, uh, he, he, he's, I think he, he's going to have a chance to be their starting quarterback next year. So, um, hopefully I could put a plug in his ear to start the, uh, 20, whatever graduating class he is. What would it be? 20, 25, uh, 26 or seven, maybe if
0: he was a if freshman last year. 26. I think it'd be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, his recruiting, his recruiting circuit. <laughs> <See>. <laughs>
0: All right, Mike. I was, was a- just
1: trying to figure out if that's the
2: same high school that the Goldbergs went to. On the <laughs> it is,
1: it is that. So, Mr. Miller was my gym teacher. <laughs> is that right? Yep. All right. Yep.
2: yeah. And so was he like fun. that? Like the guy on TV?
1: Um, I'm sure it was a little bit traumatized, but yeah he <laughs> he's one of the wildest and coolest people of all time, and, um, and he definitely made a lot of fun to play PE in high school.
0: Very cool. Awesome, Mike. Well, we appreciate you taking time to join us.
1: Yeah. That whole show is about Penn Charter.
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you ought to have Mrs. Goldberg be your agent if you want to end up on the 49ers. She's pretty persuasive. Just
1: start cracking some whips. Yeah, it's time for uh it's time for Tommy, Tommy Condon to to earn his earnest check this this year. So we'll see. <laughs>
2: All right. Thank you Mike. so much, Mike. We really appreciate it. And best of luck with the wedding.
1: All right. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you. Always good to see you.
2: As a reminder, the Inside Andy Sports podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, maker of the best dress socks you'll ever wear. With the temperatures dropping and the groundhog indicating an extended winter today, we have entered prime sock season. And our friends over at Dead Soxy just announced their buy one, get one winter sale. Right now, when you buy two sock bundles, you get the second bundle for 50% off or get a free pair of socks with any single pair you purchase. To get the deal, just put any two bundles or any two socks in your cart, two pairs of socks in your cart, and apply the code LUCKY. If you've got bundles in there, it will take 50% off the least expensive bundle. If you've got two pairs of socks in your cart, it will make the least expensive pair free. Remember, all the socks come with a patented technology with a no-slip guarantee, made from bamboo for that premium luxury feel. So head on over to deadsoxy.com, that's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com, and stock up on this incredible winter sale. Promo code LUCKY. As always, stay sexy. All
0: right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at tjamesnd and Eric's at nd. First one I have for us, Eric, is from me. Uh, I'm going to submit the first question based on the breaking news from earlier today of Tommy Reese interviewing for the offensive coordinator job at Alabama and also reportedly being the top target for Alabama, and that was first reported by ESPN's Chris Lowe. So uh, what are your thoughts on this development? Well, you know, it was funny because in my live
2: chat Wednesday, somebody was kind of poking around and asking if, I thought Tommy Reese might be on the move and we haven't seen the whole NFL cycle go through. I didn't think, I think that Tommy would have, if he's going to stay in college, would like to end up being a college head coach, but the Alabama job offensive coordinator job from a, I don't know, prestige and, and that kind of thing and resources is um, I would imagine pretty attractive. he, took a run at Miami last year. Uh, The one thing I learned this afternoon, besides that he was interviewing for today, was uh, that Notre Dame is willing to match whatever Alabama offers. So um, whatever decision Tommy makes is not going to be made on finances. It'll be made on whether he wants to be at Alabama or whether he wants to be at Notre Dame. The thing that really surprises me, Tyler, though, is he finally has the quarterback, you know, that he's kind of always wanted and that could really showcase his offense. And, you know, I for him to leave when Sam Hartman just arrived here, I think is weird timing, but it's always going to be weird timing with Tommy Reese. If he leaves the following year, CJ Carr's coming. And if he leaves the following year, there's going to be some other reason. I mean, he's going to leave Notre Dame at some point, but. The whole Hartman thing is an interesting, um, an interesting element into why he may end up staying at Notre Dame. Which the first um, coach that was offered the job, uh, Ryan Grubb from Washington, turned it down to stay at Washington uh, to replace Bill O'Brien, who's now with the uh, Patriots.
0: Yeah, uh, if if you're doing your job well. There's never going to be a good time to like leave, like because you should have good quarterbacks at your disposal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like you said, there's never going to be a good time for him to leave necessarily. Um, and obviously, he considered leaving last off season and um, didn't go to LSU, didn't go to Miami, and stayed at and and Miami stayed. fired their offensive coordinator,
2: the guy that they did hire. Yeah, Miami Gattis, probably
0: Josh Gattis after one year. Miami probably isn't uh, enthused with its its own decision from last year, um, but yeah, I mean it, it's it'll be interesting to see what he what he wants to do. I, I know, like sort of what you said that he he, he you would think if he left a co- Notre Dame, it would be to be a head coach in college um, or to be like a coordinator somewhere in the NFL if he wanted to do that. But right. the Alabama offensive coordinator job has been such a springboard for guys. That it's hard to pass up. Now there is a question of, well, okay, who's Alabama's quarterback? I think that th- that's one of the biggest questions of the off for Alabama. Um, but they're they're they always have talent on the roster. It's not like they're they're lacking for talent. Like Notre Dame's quarterback room is like what. What it's like probably what the average Alabama quarterback room is, or, or even maybe a little bit below average. And I know, I, like, obviously, the first reaction everyone wants to know is like, "Well, okay, assume he's gone. Who are the candidates?" And I, and I think it's too quick for us to get that far down the road. Um, I mean, I mean, this just right. Happens. I think we'll know very soon, one way or the other, what he's doing. Right. Um. And then someone's like, "Can you reassure me that Sam Hartman won't leave?" It's like, well, I mean, I I I don't know that I can say that right now. I I I to my mind, there's nothing, nothing came to like, that would prevent him from just saying, you know what, actually, I'd rather go to this school instead. If, if it's another school is willing to take him as a graduate student, I think because he's a graduate, there's not a lot of rules that prevent the the movement of I, transfers. I asked somebody about that, um, that
2: was in uh, what they they don't call it enforcement, they call it compliance. compliance. And I'm not sure that they understood my question directly, but their answer to me was they didn't think that they could transfer again within kind of the same off season cycle, but I'm not sure with him being a grad transfer, he could also go into the um, NFL supplemental draft if if he wanted to, but I'm not sure. Um, I can't remember somebody that transferred to someplace in January and then transferred out in May, but it, it may have happened and just kind of slipped by my radar but uh you know i i mean i think if tommy reese leaves marcus freeman will be able to get somebody really
0: good right yeah i mean i obviously we're we're jumping ahead here but i know these are all these questions that sort of come to people's minds right away and i <laughs> i we i can't like reassure them yet like we 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 we're, were hours into this r- report of him t- him being tommy reese interviewing at um alabama so the the people started jumping to conclusions because we were supposed to talk to the early enroll or not early enrolled the enrolled transfers tomorrow friday um another day and decided to move that back to next friday which makes sense like sam hartman shouldn't have to answer questions from us when he doesn't necessarily know if Tommy Reese is staying or going yet. Right. i mean now maybe that would be it finalized by tomorrow but it just gives everyone more time to figure out what's going on um it's not i, I wouldn't Jump to a conclusion that that means anything specific about Sam Hartman's future. Um, it, it just by mentioning it, I think it's probably going to send some people into a spiral or panic. But uh, just let things play out, and we'll see where where things go from here. Right. Y- again, with I I think
2: eventually, you know, his whether he's at Notre comes back to Notre Dame or whether he goes to Alabama, his next leap will be into the NFL, and that's going to be a later higher you know their typical carousel starts a little and extends deeper into the winter than the
0: college carousel does all right Uh, our next question is from irish sports fan on the Insider lounge do you guys have any concern with the amount of offers going out and the talent they're going to the star power we saw in the last two classes is lacking in the latest round of offers secondary follow-up What's with the infinite amount of defensive line offers that have gone out? Are they making sure no matter what they get five guys, or are they not confident in the four to five guys they lead for? Um, and, and Irish Sports Fan mentioned Justin Scott, the, the Smith twins, Bryce Young, et cetera. Um, Irish Sports Fan also added, I don't care about the star ranking so much, but it is a bit curious, especially with the rumor that Marcus Freeman was upset about NIL-related issues around early signing period. Okay, so let's break this up into pieces. Let's start
2: with the star power question. I think Notre Dame has always kind of done its own evaluations of players, and it's not unusual. Their their offers have been going out earlier and earlier. Um, It's not unusual for the recruiting services to be a little bit behind in evaluating everybody, especially this year when they had this whole transfer portal thing that rivals at least took on. They're trying to rank every transfer portal prospect uh, that, that came in. So I think they might've gotten a little bit behind on some of their high school evaluations. But, you know, when you see these guys on film and you look at their other offers, it seems like there's quite a few players that are due for ratings bumps that Notre Dame's looking at. So from a star power standpoint, I don't think Notre Dame is aiming lower. I just think it's maybe, for lack of a better term, a flaw in the ranking system or early in the process. So I'll let you address that and then we can go to the defensive line. Part.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I don't, there's no like concern to me in terms of the amount of offers, like off, offers, like. <laughs> they they mean very little like they're like hey let's continue to talk that's basically what it is i mean if you're talking about a dating app it's like you're swiping right that's about that's that's about the extent of of what's going on there with the with the college scholarship offer in this current era so um i i don't personally have enough opinions on everyone they've offered so i can't evaluate if they're reaching too early on certain guys now the more like the guys that Notre Dame that like, that become seriously interested in Notre Dame, then we start to learn more about. For instance, Leonard Moore, who is a cornerback, who's a three star out of Texas, who Notre Dame offered in January. He visited um, this past weekend um, and has now set a commitment date for for Saturday. So once once he gets offered and then scheduled a visit to Notre Dame, then we start to look at him a little bit more. And then uh, rivals national recruiting analyst Nick Harris, who covers Texas, where Leonard Moore is from he also like said, Hey, we're, we're planning to move him up too. So I think there's it's, I mean, you got, you got to think about it from like our, the rivals analyst perspective. There's an entire c- country of high school football players that they have to figure out how to evaluate. Um, and it helps when the schools offer, then you have a better sense of, okay, these are the guys worth evaluating. Now you, you don't want that to skew what your opinion is, but at least it, you get a better sense of who to devote your time to like, okay, we need to, spend more time evaluating Leonard more. We need to like Cole Sullivan is someone I think of that Notre Dame offered recently that it wasn't, isn't very highly ranked, but is a linebacker, uh, an athlete out of Pittsburgh, central Catholic. Um, So I wouldn't be too concerned about what those rankings are. I I think it it makes more sense. There's a lot more people on a lot more college staffs that are doing these, these um, evaluations and, probably even getting paid more (laughs) to do that uh so i think that uh that'll probably we'll see how that all evens out and even i mean sometimes and even like that you'll see every year or every recruiting cycle like there are some guys that get ranked really high right away and then it's like oh maybe that guy was an early early riser and he got a bunch of early offers and then didn't Maybe forgets. I think Drew Pine was sort of like that, where he was a a stud and star. Everyone wanted him early in his high school career, and he slowly came back to the pack a little bit because he didn't continue to grow. Or, um, I, and, and it could be the reverse. A so Kyle Hamilton was a three star recruit when he got offered, yeah. and he be, he became. I don't think he was a five star on Rivals. He was a five star on twenty four seven Sports, but uh, he was still highly highly sought after and recruited um, prospects. So you, you, I think Patterson
2: was a three star for a large part yeah there's there's, I mean I can't even go back years Paulson Adebo who Notre Dame was after was a three-star for the longest time and that guy's playing in the NFL so yeah
0: so and then so as that relates to the defensive line offers I I did the math right now Notre Dame has 2020 in the 2024 class there's 33 offers out now which I guess it could be more because these are just based off of the positions that rivals list the the recruit as for instance like Bryce Young is listed as an outside linebacker, but Notre Dame's recruiting him as a, as an edged defensive end. Um, so that doesn't even include him. So right now, according to guys listed as weak side defensive end, strong side defensive end, or defensive tackles in the 2024 class, there are 33 Notre Dame offers out. Um, and in the entire 2023 cycle, there were 34. So they are getting out there early with a lot of offers. And But Notre Dame is also in a different position in this recruiting cycle where it doesn't have Keon Keeley and Brendan Vernon in this class like it did in the previous class early on. Certainly, they have Owen Waifel, um, but that's only one commitment, and he's he, he's certainly not enough to like sort of feel like okay. The rest of the class will just sort of fu- build itself around him. Um, so I think Notre Dame's in a good position with the Smith twins, as mentioned, right there in the mix for Justin Scott, um, Bryce Young. I would consider Notre Dame the favorite for, but you need to you need to have your options. You can't leave yourself exposed to not having backup plans um if if things don't work out in your in your favor
2: right and the other thing is not all offers are created equal there are committable right. offers there are a range of offers that go all the way down to we want you to come to our summer camp um so that if you say well I want to commit right now they'd be like nope you can't do it yet so so that not all those offers are committable offers where they would crowd out their
0: top prospects if they were eager to commit. All right. Next question is from at Flanner Jim. Upgraded athleticism on D recruitment since Marcus Freeman arrived and second year under Al Golden. Why does everyone think the defense takes a step back next year? Good second half of bull game without Foskey or Jason Adamalolo.
2: I'm not sure that everybody thinks that, but I... <laughs> that was my same
0: reaction. <laughs> I think it's
2: a possibility. And you're, you're right, um, Flanner Jim, uh, on this. From the standpoint, they did have a good second half, but that's a pretty small sample size without those two guys. I, I think that there's a couple things going on here. One is two of the most important ingredients in a defense are two of the biggest question marks that doesn't mean those question marks won't be answered but they are question marks going into spring that's pass rush and run fits you know are you going to be able to stop the run are you going to be able to be not only a good run defense but a great run defense we don't have evidence that that's a slam dunk that that's going to happen we don't even have evidence that it's probable going to happen but you're right there are some really good athletes you think about Josh Burnham Aiden Gobira, uh Tyson Ford so there there's talent there I mean it's not like you're hoping that it comes out of thin air the other part about it you, you mentioned more athleticism in the younger players and and I agree somebody asked me in the chat Wednesday um, who were the best athletes on defense and I just came up with some names off the top of my head, but I would imagine most of them were freshmen or sophomores who many of whom aren't playing yet, or, or even in the two deeps yet, they eventually will that eventually athleticism is going to show up. So that's my answer there.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, from my perspective, I think the linebacker position will continue to improve the cornerback position will continue to improve. The safety position is a bit of more of a question mark. Will it be maybe a little bit more of the same? I know Eric has a lot of confidence in Xavier Watts going into next season, um, so that there certainly could be improvement there. Um, I think the def- de- defensive line position is where it comes back to as the biggest the biggest question mark, because you're losing your top three defensive linemen in Isaiah Foskey and the Adam Alola Twins. Um, and this upgraded athleticism that there is on the defensive line are, is mostly from guys that uh, are almost, I would say, exclusively from guys that we haven't seen do much of anything yet. So they're just, they're, they're just unknowns right now. What what can Tyson Ford and Joshua Burnham and Aiden Gobira, Donovan Heinish make? Like, what, what can those guys do um, for Notre Dame next season? And I think it's fair to say that there are these questions about the defensive line, given how Notre Dame has acted in the transfer portal market. It went after Braden Fisk from Western Michigan, who ended up picking Florida State and then went out and, and got uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste from Ohio State as a defensive end. So there are um, these concerns from Notre Dame's point of view that they needed to address going into this next season. Because, yes, they, they may have a lot of guys that have a bright future on the defensive front, but not not everyone you think has a bright future ends up living up to that future. Um, and so will, will those guys be able to do that this next year? I, I think it's we're we're only guessing at this point, and I think Notre Dame can only guess to some point, but have, obviously they have to be the most uh convicted in what what how they feel and, and sort of uh coach and make additions to the roster accordingly. All right, next question is from at Henry Bede over under three hundred and seventy-five snaps for Javante Jean-Baptiste.
2: Well, let's look at the defensive ends last year and how that broke down. Isaiah Foskey was number one at 563 among the ends. Justin Adam was 465. Riley Mills was 415. And then everything else is below that 375 snaps. You get down to Nana Asafa-Metsa at 275, then all the way to 127 for Jordan Botello. Junior Tui alamaka was 87, and a lot of those were at linebacker. Uh, so it drops pretty precipitously um, once you get past, really past, Nana Asafa Mensah. But they're bringing in uh, Jean-Baptiste to be an impact player. Their expectation is he's going to be a starter and a strong rotation player. So I would put him as somebody in the top three in snaps. Uh, among defensive ends so i'm going over with my 375 prediction
0: yeah i thought i thought 375 was a really good line I, I i was i leaned both ways when when considering this i i settled with the under um 375 would put him closer to riley mills than nana osafa mensa mills was 415 and mensa 279 justin animalola would i guess would be the one that I think he had the potential to maybe be, have the most similarities to in, in snaps, and he was at four eighteen. Um, but I I don't I don't know. I, he, Javante Jean Baptiste is probably the transfer I have the least confidence in what exactly his role is going to be, and confidence I, I just the least certainty I think is probably the better way to say it. I, I just don't know. Like, is is he more of a viper? Is he more of a field end? I I think that's a little bit up in the air still. Um, how does that reflect what his playing time looks like? So, uh, there's too many uncertainties for me to like say, yes, he's absolutely going over. I think Notre Dame probably needs him to go over because if he does, that means he's playing well. Um, and they certainly felt that they have a need for him. So, he played 272 last season, so to increase by 100 staffs would be a pretty big jump, but obviously, that's that's the kind of thing that he wanted in for his career, otherwise, he would have probably stayed at Ohio State. So, I- I'm gonna go under. I think it's probably going to be pretty close to the 375 whether it goes over or under though. All right, next question is from Kevin Vaughn at Go Irish 51. Any idea on who comes in to help with the linebackers? Do you think Marcus Freeman had any idea James Laurinaitis would leave so soon? I don't
2: think he had any idea uh a month or so ago that he would leave for a lateral move uh I think he always knew that if James did well, that he could get a full-time job pretty quick. That's what happens to good grad assistants. They get offered full-time jobs right. where the money's better. What What got a little murky with James' situation is that the NCAA uh, last month was considering kind of uh, untethering coaching limits and coaching responsibilities where – analysts would have been able to coach on the field where grad assistants would have had more leeway in terms of what they were able to make and so forth. They wouldn't be so limited. Uh, but once Ohio state kind of got into the mix and Ryan day wanted James Laurinaitis to come home, I think Marcus probably thought, you know, even though he gave him an opportunity, uh, you know, he knew that that would be strong allure. So do we know who's next? Not yet, but um, we talked about this on the um, YouTube show a little bit. Um, I don't know that you necessarily need a big name guy. Nick was a really good uh, linebacker assistant coach uh, in terms of helping people be really good in terms of their skills and their run fits and their coverage and everything else like that. Realize short term, there might be a hit with recruiting because James was getting more involved in recruiting. Al Golden's going to have to get more involved with the linebackers and form better relationships, stronger relationships with that. But I'm not really concerned about a grad assistant leaving. That's kind of
0: what they're supposed to do. I think Tyler's brother was a grad assistant, wasn't he? Yeah, he's been a grad assistant a few times. He was a graduate assistant at University of Sioux Falls, and this past season, he was a grad assistant at Northern Illinois. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I and he doesn't make much money. I, I think I think he was living on food stamps when he was in South Dakota. That's how that's how little money he was making. Um, but obviously, that's different than being a GA at, at Notre Dame or Ohio State. Um, my my in terms like the names like it's probably likely that it's going to be someone we've never heard of. I mean, we'll do some research when we find out who it is about that person. And I'm sure that they'll have reasons, Notre Dame will have reasons to do that. But GAs usually aren't high profile names. That's usually not the the path that most guys uh, take, especially later in their careers, like James Laurinaitis is, or I guess later in age, uh, he was just getting a start in his coaching career. And that's why like, I would be surprised if Marcus Freeman thought that James Laurinaitis was going to be here really long. Um, unless Marcus had plans to make him a full-time assistant because like you said, GA, that's the, that's part of the the job. They're supposed to get out of there and not stay very long. Um, you're only allowed to stay three years total as a graduate assistant at one place. Um, and, and to stay a third year, there's a certain like requirement you have to hit. I don't remember what those are. Maybe those have changed over the years. Those, those things sort of they're, adjust. They're
2: playing with those, but that was some of the stuff they were looking at in January, but they kind of tabled all that stuff.
0: Yeah. And like even Chris O'Leary, like I think he came as an analyst first and then they put him back to a GA. it was just like, there's all kinds of maneuvering that happened to sort of get guys to stay on staff. But just in general, whether you're a GA or not, when you're just starting your career, you're going to be bouncing all over the place. Like for instance, my younger brother that we mentioned, um, his name is Taylor James for the record. Uh, He's been, I think, At five schools already and he's what he's 28 years old um so he bounces he bounces around all over the place just to try to make a make a name for himself get connections to different coaches and be able to sort of try to climb the ladder obviously we're talking about a different level now he was uh working at an fbs school this past year but um that's just how the coaching uh profession works all right next question um is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Which players do you need to see make the biggest jump in the spring to help Notre Dame become a true playoff contender for next year?
2: You know, I answer this more of who I think it's going to be rather than who needs to be. So I, I think it probably lines up pretty good.
0: And how many? How many did you have?
2: I, I went with five. I which <laughs> I, is I have, what I, I have did eleven. On, um, <laughs> Football never sleeps. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. But I had, in that group, I had Jordan Batello. He's not exactly young. He just hasn't played a lot. He's going to be a senior. So I removed Jordan. And the rest of the guys were pretty close to what my original list, well, it was the same with me adding one. So I had Tobias Merriweather at wide receiver, linebacker Jalen Sneed, uh, cornerback Jaden Mickey, offensive guard Billy Shrouth, and then my addition was tight
0: end Eli Reardon. Yeah, so so I had eleven. I I, uh, I went pretty heavy here because I I, I I think they need a lot of guys to make a big. They jump do. To, they do to be absolutely pl- playoff contenders next year. Um, and I think you could probably like I think. It, it's probably easier to say a position and it's like, well, I don't know which wide receiver it's going to be, but it needs to be one or two wide receivers. The two I went with were Tobias Merriweather and Jaden Thomas Um, on the offensive line. I said, Zeke Carell. I think certainly Billy Strouth is a, is a good, good submission there as well. Or even Andrew Christophe, any of those guys, any of those guards that will be stepping up as starters will have to make a big leap just to be able to start consistently, let alone be national or playoff contending. Good. Um, but I yeah, think, Z- I don't know why I
2: read young into that, uh, because those guys aren't young and I'm looking at Marie's question; She never said young. I <laughs> telepathically got that from her.
0: Uh, I'm glad you pointed that. I, I didn't want to be the one to point that part out. So I just went ahead with my part of the list. Uh, here's a young player, Mitchell Evans. I, I think he, him making a big jump, uh, will, will, will be helpful to Notre Dame, Jordan Batello. Uh, Riley Mills uh, that's the person that we've always expected to make the big jump but hasn't necessarily I said Tyson Ford as well he's sort of the young the yep. rising freshman to sophomore class defensive lineman that I am the most intrigued by Javante Jean-Baptiste I think even though he's new here and and like he certainly isn't a young player I think he needs to make a big leap to to have the kind of impact that Notre Dame would hope that he can make Prince Colley was the linebacker I picked I think you and I sort of uh, alternate between Jalen Sneed and Prince Cali as like the guy that may be on the precipice of having a big season next year. I just um, think Jalen has the easier path. Right. I think they're both really good. Uh, Jaden Mickey, um, who you said as well, and then Xavier Watts. I know you're, you're, I think you're the president of the Watts fan club. So I am. Um, <laughs> uh, that's not a surprise to you. All right. Uh, here's a question about young guys at Henry Bede. Um, another one from Henry. So Henry, thanks for the good submissions this week, which early enrollee will be the first to make the two deep. So I narrow I started with five and I narrowed it down to one. um and I'll tell you who I came up with. Yeah, do your one first and then I'll get and then I'll that. do your one first and then I'll give my one and then we can reveal who else you had, okay. I went with Drake Bowen as the backup
2: middle linebacker in the in the linebacker depth. If he wasn't playing baseball, I would be more sure of that pick.
0: All right. I went with Jaden Greathouse as the slot wide receiver, as a number two slot wide receiver. Well I had um I had Greathouse in my top five
2: as well as um a couple of the safeties that are here. Um Minick and Schuler because I think they'll have an opportunity to be that fourth safety. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, well, I can't even read my handwriting, so I'll let you say <laughs> yours and hopefully you'll say the, it. The
0: other one, I, I, Brennan Vernon, I think there's a potential that he could be the, yeah, uh, in the two one. deep. Um, and then one, I actually, I took a peek at you. We have like a draft of a of a depth chart that we haven't published yet, just because we want to learn more going into the spring. Uh Sam Pendleton, sort of out of necessity, may end up being in the 2D because we sort of think there's three guards there. Now, there certainly is oh, someone could be someone that isn't necessarily penciled in as a guard right now that will be competing for a guard. So maybe they're so, – I mean, maybe it's Ashton Craig or something like that or Pat Coogan, um, but maybe it just is Sam Pendleton because he he's a guard and um, someone needs to be sort of the fourth guard there. Um, so those are the guys that came to mind to me. I came up.
2: Um, I I've figured out what I had written down. What's your other one? Christian Gray. Okay, There's yep. a lot of good cornerbacks, but if, you know, somebody gets bumped to, let's say Clarence Lewis gets
0: bumped over to safety, it's going to be because Christian Gray's ready. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Next question is from Matthew Rogers at Matt's Rogers. Who do you expect the guards to be next year? And how does Sam Hartman affect the style of ND's offense?
2: Uh, who I expect to be the guards next year, and this is more of a projection than anything I've seen <laughs> to this point, um, I, I'm I'm thinking that Billy Shroud's talent is going to take over and he's going to start his Quentin Nelson act-alike contest. And then uh, I think Andrew Christoffick's experience is going to help him win the other guard spot, and that would leave. You know, Rocco, Spindler, and some of the tackles that are backup tackles, like um, Harmony, uh, that would leave them as, as backups at some position at this point. And then I'll answer the other question when Tyler's said his starting guards.
0: Yeah, Christoph and Strouth are the picks for me, and then Rocco Spindler in the mix. I sort of alluded to that as there being like three guards there. I don't know. Carmody is not a big guy like he I think it's hard for him to be get sort of thicker he's obviously he's tall but he's not he's not a thick guy so I think it might be tough for him to be a guard now I think that obviously that's the better playing or path to playing time for him at Notre Dame if he can do that but I, I'm i not sure that they've that... messed
2: around with him at center a little bit too so like a uh, backup center
0: yeah so I I and I I've I've been vocal saying I think there needs to be competition at the center position this year. So maybe maybe he, he does that, or maybe it's Pat Coogan or Ashton Craig that try to push Z Carell there too. So um but I, I think Or if, what about Rocco Spindler jumping or, in there? Yeah, yeah. I mean if that's something Rocco can do, I don't know that, that they've tried him there, but I it certainly I hear he stands not afraid to try someone that's never played center before. Sam Mustafar wasn't a center at all, and he he turned out to be a pretty good college center. Nick so, Martin. Um so we'll uh we'll see what happens there. What's, what are your thoughts on how now, obviously uh, if Notre Dame has a new offensive coordinator, that may have just as big of an impact in terms of what Notre Dame's offensive style is like next year. But what do you think Sam Hartman does to that? So
2: I think he diversifies the offense. I think having an upgrade at both quarterback and wide receiver is going to bring the deep passing game and, other elements of the wide receiver passing game kind of back into the Notre Dame offense. It's been run game, tight end oriented and the run game is still going to be really good. Uh, but I think, especially if Tobias can be become that wide receiver that can take the top off of defense, then it opens so many other avenues for the, for that offense. But Sam Hartman's ability to make those big throws down the field whether Tommy Reese is the offensive coordinator or somebody else or somebody from the media. Um, I think that's <laughs> probably how it's going to shake out.
0: So are you shining up your resume? Is that what you're telling me?
2: I'm shining up my resume. I have been second guessing for years.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think there'll be more shot plays and and to, or, uh, Sam Hartman gives, will give their name's receivers better chances to impact the game down the field than, than what, tyler buckner did in his limited action or what drew pine did in his more extended action last season so that's that to me is going to be the biggest difference um in the offense and i think that's probably going to be the case regardless of who the offensive coordinator is next question is from at irish fan 102 notre dame's base nil has been described as a flat rate for all players is this stipend extended to all varsity athletes at notre dame or just football
2: I haven't studied that really closely, Tyler, but it's not my understanding that the football NIL is connected to the other sports that I think they, it doesn't seem like you would have, you know, a men's cross country runner making the football money. Uh, I don't think that that's how it's set up, but I'll defer to you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, I don't want to pretend that I know everything that's happening with, with how, how all of it is being handled with the, with the NIL opportunities. They just hired
2: somebody new to help with that, Jen Viney-Smith, who's a pretty strong administrator. I,
0: I don't think uh, – like, I personally wouldn't describe, like, the NIL situation as a flat rate for all players. I I mean, there is one thing, like, does that the Irish Players Club gives a base rate to all football players. Like, that's sort of their model. I think the fund money has become more widely available to players that are willing to spend time doing charitable work, but I'm not exactly aware or certain, or it hasn't been disclosed to me how it's being distributed exactly. Um, I'd like to learn more about that, but um, stuff like uh, Tommy Reese interviewing at Alabama comes up to prevent (laughs) uh, time being devoted to that. Um, I'd like, so hopefully we can learn more about exactly what that looks like. Um, But My understanding of fund is that, well, and I'm fairly confident that fund is accessible to more athletes than football. Like there have been basketball players and, uh, um, I think other, other sports too, but basketball players come to mind, both women and men, um, that have taken advantage of the, the fund opportunities and applied for, um, money through fund and been able to do that and do some charitable work as a result of that. Um, but the Irish players club, for instance, that's, that's specific to the football team. So, um, that, that would be how I would describe what's going on with, with NIL currently. All right, next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. What is the best change slash development in college football since you began covering the sport? And what is the worst? Seems like things are changing quickly these days with NIL, expanded playoffs, transfer portal, conference realignment. So I was curious about your takes. Now, we're talking about. Much different time frames here, so Eric's might be like the invention of face mask, but I don't know what, uh, <laughs> what, what. I don't. I, how how recent are the changes that that you had pinpointed for both these answers, Eric? Well, I I went back to the leather helmets. You no, know? <laughs> um,
2: I I mean I'm trying to be fairly recent. I think um, the spread offense and. And the race to keep up with that, the counter moves, the defensive coordinators have had to do to evolve. I mean, Brian Van Gorder at one point was a Broyles award winner. The guy was brilliant with defenses before they all started to change. But I think the spread offense really um, sped up the evolution of those X's and O's and, and makes some guys that were pretty good coaches at one time Uh, obsolete and and with that you got some tempo and stuff like that i think it made the game a lot more exciting um i love the expanded playoff i love the playoff
0: period right
2: uh those would be the two at the top
0: that was that was what that was what i said for the best change the the introduction of the playoff and then i i i I like the expanded playoff as well um certainly reserve judgment once we actually see what it's like in in reality but I, i i I don't like uh, just letting people decide who the best team was at the end of the year. is just not, that's just not interesting to me. I mean, sports, sports are interesting because what happens on the field, not, uh, not what, what, not because of what we talk about. (laughs) If I guess, I guess if that's maybe the best way I could say that. Well, and and before there was even the BCS, you often
2: didn't get one versus two in a championship game. You'd have one versus four, one versus five, you know, and then you really had to do the calculus if one lost. Um, so I think that was, yeah, a, a big um, improvement. So the worst things that happened um, are pretty recent developments. The combination of transfer portal with no waiting, coupled with illegal nil. I I hate that. Um, I think it could. And I know that there's a lot of fans that think that I want the players to get their money. I want them to get it legally, for the most part. You you're never going to be able to shut it all down, but you know the, the fact that um, you know you could get give an acquisition fee to a player to come to transfer to your school. You know, allegedly what uh, Jordan what happened with Jordan Addison leaving Pitt and going to USC. Um, I, I just. I don't like it. Um, The other thing is nobody can ever figure out targeting. um, (laughs) So I'm not a big fan of the targeting. I am a big fan of making the game safer. It's just if there was more consistency with that call, I I would have less problem with it. I know when there was one time a few years ago, uh we when we used to have this mag- summer magazine with um uh, Andy Insider when we were at the Tribune, we asked every player, we asked one player from each position and Brian Kelly what their least favorite rule was in college football, and almost all of them said targeting.
0: Yeah, I uh I agree that the, the NIL stuff is has been handled bad. I and I think I'm a little bit like Hopeless that it's going to get fixed in the right way. Um, I mean, I guess I'm hopeful that like p- people wise up and spend their money in better ways, <laughs> um, and realize how much money they're wasting by ha- using it in some of the ways it's been used here. The first introduction of it, but I, but I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm in favor of the like concept behind it. I just really don't like how the NCA has not done anything to make it make sense or figure out how to do it. Um, and sort of pass the buck to someone else and sort of watching things happen and not have any sort of role in it. I, I don't know. It's still, it's weird. So I, I could, I, that would be a good one. I, I, my, my pick was the conference realignment that that one I dislike the most just because like it has ruined so many different rivalries and the regional
2: basketball stuff
0: too. regional aspect of the game. I, like I, I'm a big fan of the history of rivalries and like, just, I mean, I went to a small division three school that has a historic rivalry to Paul and Wabash. And like, that's one of the best things about either of those schools is the rivalry between those schools. Um, and, uh, obviously that's much much smaller time football, but like there, there are, there are rivalries that had the same kind of history at the D one level that have been lost to, to conference realignment and, the, the fact that like UCLA and USC are going to be in the big 10. Like what, what are we doing? Like, what, how, why does this make any sense? Who, who needs this? Like what, who is this helping? Um And is it hurting more people than it's helping? Um There's no, I, what, what college football lacks is someone that has the best interest of college football in mind, besides its own personal interest. Like it's, it's everyone like invested in its own personal interest and no one like seemingly looking out for everyone else or at least if there are people that do that, they haven't done a good job of it, at least in my opinion. Uh, So now maybe you could say the same thing about like NFL owners too, but um, I think they've probably done a better job of making things equitable at that level. And it's, it's harder to do at a much larger scale when you talk about the NCAA and the amount of schools that are involved, but um, that's been the, the, uh, the most disappointing part of, how college football has evolved over the past, for me, decades since I've been covering it. Um, And our last question is from Chino at D underscore radio guy. When it comes to Notre Dame sports families, is there a better dynasty than the Mabry sisters? You
2: know, that when I got around to researching that question was about the time that Tommy (laughs) Reese jumped out. So my research isn't exhaustive. I, I don't know that I can think of three people off the top of my head, which is what I'm trying to do right now. I, I give the Maybury Sisters their due. Marino is definitely the best of those
0: players. Right. Um, I, I I can I can fill a little bit and maybe you can think while I'm talking. I, I I don't there's probably better options or not better, but there are probably good options in sports that we don't cover a lot, like one that um we don't spend a lot of time covering is hockey. Um, the right. Slaggart brothers, Graham and landed, and then their dad, Andy has been a longtime assistant coach at Notre Dame, um, and actually played at Notre Dame back in the day as well. Um, and then I think their youngest brother, Carter is coming to Notre Dame in the future too. So I think in terms of like quantity and quality, like the, the, the Slaggart brothers are good players as well for those that don't follow hockey that closely. Um, so that in terms of the quantity and quality of impact, maybe that's in the conversation with the Mabry sisters. Certainly when you're talking about two, you could talk about the Bertrand brothers. Yeah. Which, and john They've michael definitely
2: got more a's than any other
0: <laughs> the adam alola twins certainly um could could the ha- martins never our yeah the, the martin brothers certainly that um they're in the mix there as well um so there's probably some more good candidates there but like I'm, i put
2: sheldon day and his mother <laughs> That's my baby.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I mean uh, I'd like to hear if anyone else has good submissions and I I, I my blind spot is the like older ones so I'm sure there I mean there could be like guys Yeah, like, there's
2: a lot of twos. It's just you know you don't think of the a three. lot of threes and there's probably some back in the rock me and Right, Raiden that's what I was going to say then. like
0: my my history like knowledge isn't good enough to like say like these three guys and someone's great grandpa was really good. <laughs> um, and then Joe and Hannah, Montana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the, the Montana legacy didn't, didn't, uh, expand beyond uh, Joe, uh, unfortunately, uh, for Notre Dame, but, um, I think, uh, there's, there's certainly some up and coming guys. Uh, did we talk about Bryce young. That's, uh, um, Coming from some good and Jerome
2: Bettis juniors in this recruiting
0: cycle too, some some good bloodlines there. So um, we're we're at that we're at that age now where guys that won national championships at Notre Dame are having uh, some more kids the age of uh, of uh, and even after that. But guys that played for Lou Holtz having kids that could be recruited by Notre Dame. So um, all right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with whoever does your taxes. Uh, We want to get to 100 ratings on Apple Podcasts in 2023, and we are making some progress there. I'm appreciative of that. Um, We're going to read some reviews. we have liked to do that as of late. So here are a few since our last podcast, Notre Dame Nate described us as a dynamic duo eric he says thank you for all that you do i personally just started listening to you all a few months ago and i'm glad i did i enjoy listening to the podcast and watching monday night live thank you for letting us send in questions by twitter so it makes us fans feel like we are being heard and part of the show keep up the good work thanks again and go irish um, wow we ought to take him out to dinner. <laughs> no kidding casey reese says keep up the good work you guys are doing great legends in south bend so um i i don't uh I don't consider myself a legend but I appreciate that. Well, um, he was talking about me. <laughs> there was an S on there though so it was oh, cool. Okay. So unless you <laughs> unless you consider yourself a two-time legend uh <laughs> and then uh, the last review is from What's up my boy great insight and on indie football appreciate the insight and historical knowledge. So thank you to Notre Dame Nate Casey Reese. That sounds like Malik Sayer. What's up my boy uh for the reviews, the folks that make it this far in the podcast to hear our request for reviews and ratings. And then follow up on them are truly dedicated listeners and we're very, very grateful for them. Uh, we will be back next week with another Inside ND Sports podcast. Um, we had hoped to be having, having spoke to all four of Notre Dame's enrolled transfers before then, but that won't happen this time. But we'll still be back. We'll have plenty to talk about, um, given this Tommy Reese situation in, in, ter- in terms of what comes with it. I mean, heck, maybe there's a, re- a resolution to it before before you actually listen to this podcast, but... We've also launched our weekly off-season show on YouTube, Football Never Sleeps. Uh, So make sure you're subscribed to us over on the Inside Indy Sports channel as well. Uh, Until you hear our voices again, stick with InsideIndySports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs.